0: Hi, this is John Burlingame, host of Disney's Four Scores podcast. In this podcast series, we bring together the most accomplished film and television composers working today, and reveal the emotional journeys, inspirations, and unique challenges of their work. Our guest today has, over the past year, catapulted to prominence in the world of film and television music, in large measure because of her fun score for Marvel's Loki, and her impressive music for the new Star Wars series, Obi-Wan Kenobi. She trained at London's Royal Academy of Music and the National Film and Television School. She was Emmy-nominated for her music for Victoria and won the prestigious Ivor Novello Award for the Honorable Woman. Her music can also be heard in the films Paddington, Fever Dream, and the upcoming Batgirl. So it's a thrill to welcome Natalie Holt to the podcast.
1: Hi! (laughs)
0: I'd like to dive straight into uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi if we can. So what's your history with Star Wars? Were you a fan growing up?
1: I was, yeah. I watched it with my dad, all three of the originals. And then we had them on VHS, so I didn't, you know, burn a hole in the VHS. (laughs) Many times. (laughs) So yeah, I was definitely a a fan and just loved John Williams. I'm such a big fan of John Williams as well. I mean, his score for E.T. is just One of my favorites and uh, Jurassic Park and Superman and everything. It it feels like he's scored my childhood movies.
0: (laughs) So this series has a John Williams theme, and I'm curious to know when that came about in the process. Was he already on board when you were hired?
1: He was not. Deborah's instructions to begin with were kind of write something just completely new. Like we don't know if we have permission from John yet to use his original themes. Um, So let's just presume that we don't because we don't want to sort of include them into the show and then not be allowed to use them.
0: And of course, you're referring to Deborah Chow, the director of the series.
1: Yeah. So about a month into the project, John said he'd love to write Obi a theme because he's the one heritage character that John... Didn't get to. Well, he did do an Obi theme, but it was very minor and connected to something else. Because so, I think John said he didn't realise how important he was at that point because he died so early on. So yeah, he wanted to like complete his Star Wars theme suite, I suppose. And yeah, it was just really special. He sent his sketch over, like receiving that piano sketch from John Williams, was like, oh my gosh, what, what? just a big moment for me, just knowing that nobody else in the world had heard it and playing it on the piano. And yeah, brilliant.
0: So, Talk a little bit about the parameters of the Star Wars music world that you needed to work within. Did it need to be orchestral? Did it need to have the sort of Star Wars style that John had established? Or were you free to go
1: beyond it? There, there are certain elements in the show, like the Inquisitors, then they're not heritage characters, so... You know, Deborah was kind of wanting to do something more modern with them and make them really edgy and involve stints and sort of have a driving rhythmic element underneath them when they arrive in episode one. I felt quite free to do what I wanted with Reva and the inquisitors and then, yeah, once John had come on board and written the Obi theme, then that unlocked those heritage themes for us, and we knew that we could lead to them because John watched it through, and he highlighted some moments where his obi theme would go and where we were allowed to use his themes in episode six so yeah once we kind of knew that then we could be leading to them but um deborah was just very clear that she didn't want to hear that vader theme until vader is vader and he has that moment in episode six where he says you didn't kill anakin skywalker i did and then you realize he's he's now landed he's he's who we go on with in A New Hope and when we see Vader in A New Hope he's an old man he's sort of been through it all and like we're seeing him in his prime here so I did actually use the Imperial March rhythm underneath the Vader theme. I just wanted it to feel like pure evil dread just like a kind of rage so I used like a hunting horn and pitch shifted double basses and like used loads of layers of brass and the the lower forces of the orchestra to sort of give it that weight. And yeah, I felt like it sort of, when you see him open his eyes at, at the end of episode two, it hits, it sort of kicks in with that rhythm. It is the Imperial March rhythm. So it does tie together.
0: It's one of my favorite parts of your score, I think, because I felt like you were sort of hinting at the Imperial March without giving us the Imperial March. So as you're saying, it's sort of like, we're not quite Darth Vader yet, but we will get there.
1: Yeah. That's what Deborah just wanted to be really careful that we were balancing the old and the new. She wanted to sort of do something different, but sort of pay homage and give respect to what we're leading to as well.
0: You know, uh, Darth Vader, it seems to me, is angrier. And darker and more violent in uh, in these in these episodes than we would see him later, as as you say, an older man. So, did your music have to reflect that?
1: Yes, definitely. I think when he yeah when he walks down the street, he's just is like killing people left, right, and centre. And there's just his uncontrolled rage. The Imperial March is much more kind of constrained and feels like he's kind of tamed it he's conquered his anger and now he can just use it with more sort of precise control so it was very important to reflect that in the music as well
0: what about the other characters did you feel that you needed to write a theme for little leia for example because she's obviously not the princess leia that we would come to know in the later films and and of course you mentioned the inquisitors obviously they have music of their own right
1: The Inquisitors have a theme, and Reva has a kind of corral that comes out in episode six. The scene I used to kind of find Reva was where she decides not to kill Luke, and she, she has those flashbacks, and I wanted her to just blend in with the Inquisitors at the beginning and then sort of come out like a strand on her own. I suppose the same with Leia like we listened through to the Princess Leia theme as we know and it's very grown up and yearning and quite romantic and um, Deborah was like she's you know climbing up a tree like we <laughs> first hear she burst out of the foliage and she's running up a tree she's like we definitely shouldn't feel like a grown up theme that's too complex we want to feel like she's got guts and she's a young girl and like it's exciting So so then we did this sort of rhythmic driving with a sort of theme over the top which I did have on flutes but it just kind of grew like everyone wanted it to feel quite epic when you first see her and, and there's that big wide shot over Alderaan, um of the forest but it definitely has flutes still in in there and it does feel like it's sort of leading to that poignant moment in episode 6 where she puts Tyler's holster on and we hear her theme when we see her in episode 1. She needs to go on that journey.
0: You mentioned Alderon. we visit at least three different planets during the course of the six episodes. And I'm wondering, did each planet, did each new place require its own music?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think Alderaan as well, it's like been mentioned in A New Hope and obviously it gets blown up by the Death Star. So we know it's going to be destroyed, but we don't feel that yet. That was quite a big task. And Deborah was saying it's sort of like new tech and quite eco and everything's like sleek and green lines. So, and they are a royal family, but she wanted them to feel like a socialist, you know, they're not kind of a pomp, pomp and circumstance royal family, they're kind of everyday people. So it needed to have a warmth as well. And then yes, there's Dayu and Mapuzo as well, which um, needed their own, yeah, she, Deborah sort of saw the planets as having their own personalities. And somehow bedded within our own planet, you know, we're always drawing on on world music, I suppose, to establish the planet, but trying to, you know, give them their own twist.
0: Did you start writing in London? Because I know the recording, uh, certainly of the orchestra, was all done here in Los Angeles.
1: Yeah, it was interesting because... Deborah and I worked. When I got the job, she flew over to London and we had two days together watching through the episodes and listening. I'd written some themes by then as well. And then once she flew back to LA, it was all kind of remote for about five or six weeks, sending things on iPad over to Kathleen to review, which isn't ideal. And then everyone just felt like, we need you over in LA. Like it just to be near Deborah because she was frantic going between, you know, visual effects, edits composer Aurora, and she just wanted us all to be at hand so yeah i got I got to work in la which is the first
0: <laughs> yes and you mentioned kathleen yeah i'm sure you're referring to kathleen kennedy who's sort of like the grand poobah of all things lucasfilm
1: yes she approved like the layer theme and those characters she needed to give her approval on all of those as well
0: yeah, it's extraordinary. I suppose the Lucasfilm hierarchy is fairly vast, I guess. And, and lots of people yeah. have to sign off on these things.
1: For sure. And everyone just wants to strike the right balance as well. Like like you were saying, there's so much history and it's just making sure it's the right amount of Star Wars for <laughs> the project.
0: So did you finally get to meet John Williams at some point?
1: Yes, I did. I was invited to watch his recording so he recorded the OB theme and conducted and it was his 90th birthday so that was really incredible to get to be on a session and see him chatting to the orchestra i mean he's so smart and funny gosh i hope i could be half that level of <laughs> i don't know he's just so with it at 90 it's incredible and then i met him in, at the um celebration as well and we had a lovely chat <laughs>
0: So talk about the recording sessions here in Los Angeles with, I presume, a fairly sizable orchestra.
1: Yes, I had uh, the same players that John uses, you know, the LA's finest session musicians and big strings, brass, percussion. I recorded a few more unusual instruments back in London, like the hunting horn and the nickel harper. And I did some cello solos with Caroline Dale as well in London. And then we had James Innes, who's a a violinist, a Canadian soloist who came over and did the solos, which are in episode one, where Nari is hung. And he did this where Tyler is killed as well. There's these soaring, beautiful violin solos.
0: Well, those are extraordinary soloists. Uh, James Innes and Caroline Dale are, you know, among the world's leading violin and cello players. So it must be a thrill to have them on the score. It certainly sounds gorgeous.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, the incredible players. I just, it was so nice to, and, and Chris Vogel engineering it, who's engineered the Mandalorian, so.
0: Oh, for Ludwig Göransson.
1: Yeah, so it was great to work with him as well and just the crack team, basically. Lucasfilm just <laughs> set me up with the best.
0: <laughs> so what would you say was your biggest challenge on Obi-Wan?
1: Well, I think time was probably... A challenge because low-key I had a year because of COVID and lockdown. Um, I had three months for just developing the themes with Kate and then she went to back on set with the themes in her pocket and for whatever reason I was brought on board later to to the game with Obi and so there was three months for the whole thing to kind of come together but each project has its own um, challenge and sometimes when you're forced to write quickly what comes out is, is very raw and you know it's like a your first response and it's kind of an interesting process to do it that way as well
0: I think that's fascinating uh, some people I think would be stymied or stopped in their tracks or, you know, with the level of pressure and deadline but it sounds like it was creatively good
1: well yeah this sounds like it could be in a Marvel movie it's like too funny or you know <laughs> So I I think I wasn't quite, um, you know, the tone of the show is really delicate. And once John was on board, it just unlocked the door to the sound. And I knew where I was going and that it could be more orchestral and that it could sort of go more, more romantic and emotional at points.
0: So can you reflect for a second on what it was like to join this very exclusive club of Star Wars composers?
1: I felt kind of frozen like oh my gosh it's a lot like actually I met John Powell at the SCL Awards whilst I was just first, fresh off the plane to LA and he was so sweet and he just said oh my gosh I felt frozen when I first landed the job because John Williams is my idol and I was like well that's John Powell so <laughs> you know I felt so comforted to know that.
0: And of course, John Powell scored the solo movie, uh, again with a John Williams theme. So similar situation here. But, you know, you've both done brilliantly within this amazing Star Wars universe. You sort of joined the pantheon.
1: I'm blown away by it. It's such a privilege to have been invited.
0: (laughs) Disney's Four Scores is brought to you by the Four Scores Playlist featuring music and interview clips from each composer featured in the podcast series, including Natalie Holtz' scores for Lucasfilm's Obi-Wan Kenobi and Marvel Studios' Loki. The Four Scores playlist is available on all major music streaming services. Experience the magic behind the music you love whenever you like. So before we get to Loki, uh, let's do a little bit of time traveling ourselves. Tell us a little bit about your own musical background and what led you to become a composer.
1: Well, so my mom was a music teacher, a cellist, and lots of music in the house. You know, I think when there's a piano in the house, it becomes like a toy. I remember just always tinkering around and coming up with tunes and finding that really fun from early on. And I learned the violin. I went to music college, the Royal Academy, and then transferred over and ended up at film school, did a master's in film composing, and then I went back to playing, actually, because I couldn't earn any money. <laughs> I got out of film school, I was like, oh, where is all the work? <laughs> it's quite hard to kind of get your foot on the first rung of the ladder when you... Like, I did lots of short films and things, but with no budget, so I went back to playing... For about six years, and I was doing sessions playing for other composers, and I was in a quartet. I was in George Michael's band <laughs> for a while. That's interesting. And last symphonic a tour. So yeah, it's fun. it's great to have had that, being sitting in the orchestra. So, I'd kind of been playing for a while, and I just missed composing, and I was trying to work out how I could switch over and get back into it, and. I just reached out to Martin Phipps because we'd been at the same film school and we went for coffee and I gave him my CD (laughs) and he just started calling me up for doing string arrangements and writing and then I was his assistant for a couple of years and then we co-wrote The Honourable Woman and then he passed over the last season of Wallander which I scored on my own and then that sort of things took off from there.
0: I just love it when composers work together and help each other and move careers forward the way this has happened.
1: Yeah, or oh, Martin's just a, like a total star for doing that. I'm lucky that I got to work for him and, and you learn so much as well, things that you don't pick up at film school.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Loki. Again, another high-profile project, also Disney-related, but this time within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. How did that come about for you?
1: Loki was a general call out like send in a reel for a Marvel project I sent in a reel and then got a meeting and then from the meeting got to do a pitch I came up with the Loki theme in the Pitch that I did—that was like a real kind of instant one for me. You know, you can see Loki in the films and everything. It wasn't just like reading a script; it was it was so kind of in my head. And then t- talking to Kate, and she'd got all these kind of references of the theremin and everything. Kate Heron's the director, so I recorded some live theremin on my pitch. I think that was what won me the job. <laughs> Charlie Draper.
0: I wonder if we should explain what a theremin is for listeners who may not know.
1: Yeah, so a theremin is an instrument that's kind of two metal loops. It's from the 1920s, so it's quite ancient, but it's wired up. And you're basically playing airwaves and making sounds from these loops. You can kind of adjust the tone, but uh, they were kind of really bog standard to be used in, like, 1950s sci-fi B-movies. Like, the sound of it's very recognisable. and. Um, there's a sort of theremin virtuoso called Clara Rockmore, who Kate really loves. And there's a track of hers that's played in Renslayer's office in episode three. But yeah, that was in Kate's pitch. She just loved that instrument. And I happened to know a professional theremin player. So it was kind of perfect that I managed to include that in there and it became a real feature of the score.
0: And it's so much fun, perfectly attuned to Loki's character. But also you have this sort of grand classical sound for Loki, to Talk a little bit about what different aspects there are in the Loki theme.
1: Yeah, so I felt that Loki was such a kind of grand Shakespearean character. Like, he was so theatrical with his performances, you could almost see him on the stage. And So I wanted there to be some kind of weighted classical quality, like almost like an ancient quality to his theme that felt like it was like Wagner or Mozart or something. I kind of imagined it having some real flair and flourish. And then, yeah, just Ride of the Valkyries kind of popped into my head because Loki, Asgard and everything. So um, I think I was definitely inspired by Wagner with that theme.
0: One of my favorite parts of the score is the sort of tick-tock kind of rhythm, which I presume is representative of the time variance authorities. Talk a little bit about how you came up with that and where those sounds came from.
1: Yeah, well, I was worried about using a clock because you watch it in TV and you hear a clock ticking and, the, you know, kind of giving you tension. So I wanted it to be different from that. So I kind of recorded lots of different actual clock sounds and then put them through a tape machine and had them like slowing down. So they're, they're more kind of signifying time than they're signifying that kind of conventional time ticking tension.
0: It's so much fun in the entire score. It's one of the things that makes Loki so individual in terms of its music. Is it also true that you and Kate talked about similarities with the character of Alex in A Clockwork Orange?
1: Yeah, that was something I brought up in my first meeting with Kate. Like, there's something about both of them—they're the they're murdering people and totally kind of pure evil—but yet somehow they gain your, I don't know, your affection throughout the movie. With Loki, you, you feel like an empathy for him, even though you know you probably shouldn't. But I think for me, like the actual '70s Wendy Carlos scores were a huge—I I remember watching Clockwork Orange when I was about 16 or something—and I'm just loving that the classical music, but just condensed onto a synth. And I'm a big fan of The Shining, the Wendy Carlos's soundtrack there. I don't really like things sounding too clean and modern. I always love to kind of have things sound a bit more dirty and faded and analog-y.
0: So are there analog synths in the Loki score too?
1: Yeah. And lots of like running things through a tape machine, if if, if, like soft synths through a tape machine also kind of start to sound more aged and sort of authentic as well.
0: And because this is a Norse god, I understand you use some Norwegian instruments as well.
1: Yeah, I saw a concert with the Lodestar Trio years before and that sound of the Norwegian folk instruments the hard anger fiddle and the nickel harper which is like a a string instrument that you play like a violin but it's got loads and loads of strings that resonate when you play it and you play it by moving these kind of keys and I just loved the blend of these unusual string sounds with all these overtones they just had so much soul and heart. And then I thought Norse mythology and folk instruments tie really nicely with Loki's connection with his mother. So that's when I first introduced that instrument.
0: Do you think it was the Loki score that brought you to the attention of the Lucasfilm people?
1: So, yeah, that's what Deborah said was just that kind of melodic writing. And yeah, she quite liked my sort of more emotional string music that she heard from Distancia. Because she imagined something more simple and sparse for Obi. Um, I think it was the blend of those two things. But there was also a petition after Loki came out. There was a, a Twitter petition that said Natalie should score a Star Wars project. And it, and it got loads of loads of tweets. And that was mentioned. So I think maybe they they listened to their fans.
0: Oh, my God. The power of Twitter. <laughs>
1: I know it's kind of terrifying. <laughs> yes, it is.
0: <laughs> the other thing about Loki is mm-hmm. that it there are some pretty bold musical choices. I think in Loki, and I wonder how do you know when to take that route, when to be bold with your choices, as opposed to being doing something more traditional or maybe less risky creatively.
1: I mean, Kate Heron and I, the director of Loki, are just we're still we're still really good friends. We chat all the time, and. I felt like it was our connection to each other and just that we had such similar tastes. And when you're just doing things and they're, oh yeah, that's great. That's you know, they, they give you sort of permission to just play and, and have freedom with what you're doing, I suppose. I found it really unusual the way that Marvel um, structure their feedback. So they'll kind of, put, every Wednesday, we'd have a meeting with everyone and they'd sit around and watch through like a 15-minute, like a reel kind of thing. So you wouldn't just sit there and go queue by queue. You watched it all in a run, Um, which doesn't always happen on every project, but it makes total sense because if you go queue by queue, you can start getting bogged down and it's nice to have that broader view. Watch bigger sections. So that was what I kind of came away from Loki thinking, actually. It's really nice to watch the music in context before before diving in and pulling things apart as well yeah
0: will you be doing season two of Loki
1: I will yes I'm signed up
0: Uh, that's terrific have you started work on it at all yet
1: I've read the script and they're shooting currently so this autumn I'll start cracking open the yeah, ringing up Charlie Draper and getting him to play some theremin. And <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, and yeah. we can't wait. You have another film that's just out on Hulu. Tell us about The Princess and your music for that.
1: Uh, yeah, so Lee Van Kiet was the director. Um, it's sort of like Kill Bill with, with a princess. There's lots of like quite stylized action sequences which were fun to score and i worked with jack halama on that and he's a guitar player it's almost like a fairy tale princess but it feels kind of medieval but there's there's like electric guitar is the main instrument of the (laughs) score and a big orchestra and also just like loads of medieval instruments
0: well, we're looking forward to that. You you play both the violin and the viola. Do you often play on your own scores?
1: Yeah, I do. I played on OB quite a bit actually, and it stayed in. Yeah, in episodes two and three, there's quite a lot of me. And I did a bit of singing actually. My friend Una sang, and I kind of carried on that Reva vocal line that went with her character.
0: Oh, so that that's fun. <laughs> now I'm going to have to go back and listen carefully. I can tell. <laughs> So you're now one of the three or four most sought-after women composers in the business. Can you talk about the progress that's been made in recent years after the struggle to be, for so long, to be recognized in a male-dominated
1: profession? I can talk about it. Yeah, it's really hard, isn't it? Because you... I, I don't want to feel that I'm not being picked because I'm the best person for the job. I think it's important to recognize that it's still about who should be who what's the right voice for the right for the right project i just think that there's more people entering into the business of every description and hopefully just the, the the whole structure of who's being employed will just become a bit broader in general i think it would be really contrived to pretend it's just about men and women because it's about the economics of like how much it costs to learn an instrument, how much it costs to go to university these days, and how much it costs to do a master's and then be an unpaid assistant for a number of years. I was lucky enough, I went to state school and I got a scholarship to study music and the, the music school I went to has been disbanded. The state funding for learning an instrument has just dropped off the face of the earth. And It certainly has in the UK, I'm not sure about America, but I just hope that our industry isn't just becoming a place for the privileged and that that people don't feel kind of put off by the cost of being creative, but hopefully just more voices and different types of people being employed as composers will help shift the balance and help encourage younger people to see that it's possible to enter into into the business as well.
0: Well, thank you, Natalie. It's been so much fun to talk with you today. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing so much of your process with us.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It was great to talk.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to Four Scores. Please subscribe and make sure to share this episode with your music-loving friends. It would also be great if you can rate it because that really helps others find the series. Check out Obi-Wan Kenobi and Loki on Disney+, The Princess on Hulu, and listen to the soundtracks wherever music is enjoyed.